Welcome to um, Ask the Expert with Dr. Taryn Bigley. He's an MD, PhD, he's assistant professor in pediatric rheumatology and immunology. And he's coming to us uh, from uh, Wash U in St. Louis, which is uh, really uh, becoming quite a powerhouse in the type one diabetes field. Uh, he's, as I said, he's an assistant professor, but he did get his MD, PhD training at the Medical College of Wisconsin, another excellent place. And um, his, he's going to talk today about um, his work, which focuses on neonatal roseola virus infection, which induces disruption of thymic tolerance and results, results in autoimmunity and autoantibodies, including, and surprisingly including, uh, anti-insulin antibodies. Welcome, um, Dr. Bigley, and um, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I, I'm excited to talk about uh, this research to this group. Uh, you know, I, I think the initial studies maybe are uh, somewhat type 1 diabetes adjacent, but have a lot of potential implications in terms of the phenotype we're seeing and also the impact on the immune system uh, with type 1 diabetes. Um, so I, I do not have any financial disclosures, but as a, a pediatric rheumatologist and immunologist with a background in virology research, I'm really interested in this idea that the difference between an autoimmune disease and an infectious disease is that in the latter, a pathogen has been identified. And we know that there are autoimmune diseases that are monogenic, that uh, you know, develop very early in life at times before kids have seen a lot of infections. But most autoimmune diseases, there isn't a monogenic cause. They're heterogeneous in terms of presentation, age uh, that they develop. And you know, we think a lot about uh, viruses and their potential role in autoimmunity. And so I'm going to discuss uh, some of the findings that we recently published in JX Med on disruption of central tolerance and development of autoimmunity after a neonatal infection with a murine roseola virus and then touch a little bit on some additional data, especially uh, relating to type 1 diabetes. So the evidence for virus-induced autoimmune disease in much of the literature is epidemiologic or from case or cohort studies, and these are retrospective studies. They assume this, often assume this close temporal relationship between the onset of autoimmune disease and infection, but the pre-infection status is often unknown. These studies often lack causality and mechanism. I, I do want to give a shout out to a recent study on Epstein-Barr virus and multiple sclerosis, which probably has come as close as anyone has uh, come to identifying a potentially causative role for a virus in an autoimmune disease. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, it, but I've been studying uh, a different herpes virus, uh, roseola virus, and uh, these are species-specific beta herpes viruses. They have very high prevalence and are well adapted for chronic infection in their given host species. The, the human versions of these are HHV6 and HHV7. And in pediatrics, we see this all the time as roseola infantum. Uh, kids get a high spike in fever followed by a rash. And we think of this as largely self-limiting, um, that these kids recover really well, and this is very common. It can be an opportunity opportunistic pathogen in immunosuppressed patients, but has been linked to various autoimmune conditions. 
the difficulty difficulty in studying this is that they have very high prevalence. So early in life, zero prevalence approaches or is over 90%. And these are chronic infections that uh, are latent throughout life with periodic reactivation. So causative studies are very difficult. And as I mentioned, these viruses are species specific. So studying the human roseola viruses in vivo is very challenging. And we therefore have been studying murine roseola virus, which was sequenced in Wayne Yokoyama's lab here and found to be highly, this virus, uh, murine roseola virus or MRV, was found to be highly related to the human roseola virus. Now, even in the wild, similar to people, uh, this virus has a very high seroprevalence. But most mice with it seem to be fine. What we did find is that after neonatal infection, mice developed thymic atrophy and T-cell depletion. And you can see in this whole plot here of the thymus, this is largely true of the CD4 positive thymocytes as well as peripheral T-cells. But this is a transient phenotype. By the time we're weaning mice, uh, we no longer see any of the um, CD4 T-cell depletion, the thymus has, architecture has normalized. Any failure to gain weight has resolved. And this correlates with viral replication, um, shown here using viral RNA as a proxy, where we see after two weeks post-infection, we can no longer detect viral RNA in the thymus. And so we wanted to know if that, this had any long-term impact that maybe we weren't seeing uh, grossly in the mice. And what we found surprisingly is that when we looked at 12 weeks post-infection at the stomach, we see this inflammatory infiltrate as well as disruption of the normal gland architecture. And this is this occurs at very high penetrance. You can see all of the mice um, shown here for valve C mice develop gastritis. We also see this for multiple different mouse strains. So this was not strain specific. But we did not see virus in the stomach at this time. And this is as opposed uh, in opposition to the salivary gland, which we think is a reservoir of latent. So the other component of autoimmune gastritis is the development of autoantibodies. And when we take serum from uh, infected mice that are 12 weeks old and stain tissue from stomachs, we see that compared to the mock or uninfected mice, there's positive staining uh, from the serum from the MRV infected mice. And this is scored here. But we also see when we do an ELISA to a stomach specific antigen um, that these autoantibodies are present, uh, really suggesting that this, it, this virus is inducing autoimmune gastritis after neonatal infection. So we want to look a little bit closer at whether or not this was dependent on the timing of infection and uh, on viral replication. And what we did is we set up uh, several different um, uh, several different experiments where we either uh, mock infected mice, infected mice uh, and included a vehicle control, or infected mice along with an antiviral, uh, in this case, gancyclovir. But we only did this for the first week of life. We also infected mice on day of life seven. Just showing here, the uh, antiviral we use is highly effective. The uh, runting that we typically see after MRV infection is rescued. 
We also see uh, about a three-log decrease in viral DNA and a rescue of thymic atrophy. But what we found is that compared to the vehicle control, treatment just during that first week with the antiviral or infection on day of life seven resulted in decreased gastritis as well as decreased autoantibodies, really suggesting that replication during that neonatal time frame in the first seven days of life is uh, necessary to develop this autoimmune disease. We next want to characterize which immune cells were really driving this phenotype. And we had to be a, a little bit careful about this because um, we know that any, any depletion of a specific cell early in life could impact the susceptibility to the virus and also just the natural course of infection. And so we used antibodies to deplete or block um, cells or uh, cytokines starting at six weeks post-infection after the acute infection has resolved. We also used uh, UMT mice that lacked B cells and uh, lacked them you know, at the time of infection. And what we found is that compared to our control that developed gastritis at a very high penetrance, depletion of uh, all alpha beta T cells, CD4 T cells, or blockade of IL-17 resulted in a reduction of gastritis. And we did not see this when we depleted CD8 T cells or um, CD20 positive B cells. But when we infected the MUMT mice that lacked B cells, we actually did see a decrease in gastritis, suggesting that CD4 T cells as well as IL-17 are necessary for development of gastritis, but that B cells are only necessary early in life. So we next wanted to identify which cells were sufficient to induce disease. And to do this, we harvested uh, splenocytes as well as cells from stomach draining lymph nodes and enriched them for CD4, CD8, um, or B cells and transferred them to nude mice. And what we found is that only transfer of the CD4 T cells from MRV infected mice induced disease. We also performed an experiment where we co-transferred the CD4 T effector cells with regulatory T cells. And we first did this with adult regulatory T cells and did not see a decrease in gastritis. But when we co-transferred with neonatal regulatory T cells, we did see a decrease in gastritis, suggesting that perhaps this neonatal uh, regulatory T cell population has a unique impact on suppressing disease. The other major question is, is this phenotype specific to the roseola virus, or is this something that can be seen after infection with another virus that is also thymotropic? And so naturally, we turned to another beta herpes virus, murine cytomegalovirus, and performed a similar infection and saw that there was a thymocyte atrophy or thymic atrophy as well as thymocyte depletion. And while this was a transient event similar to murine roseola virus, we did not see induction of gastritis, suggesting that, at least amongst the beta herpes viruses, murine roseola virus is having some unique impact on inducing autoimmunity. So we wanted to know how this is happening and what, what potential mechanism is driving disease. And there are uh, really kind of two prevailing theories in the field for virus-induced autoimmunity. The first one I'm going to touch on is molecular mimicry. And 
to simplify this, the idea here is that an antigen-presenting cell will take up a virus and display viral antigen. And if that viral antigen is similar enough to a self antigen, you get cross-reactivity of T and B cells that self antigen. And in the setting of a pro-inflammatory environment, autoimmunity. Now, when we were trying to understand the autoimmune disease after MRV infection, we actually did a couple of different screening approaches. And one of those that I'm showing here is we did an autoantibody screen. And so this is a microarray for different uh, autoantigens. And what we found is that compared to the uninfected control or the antiviral treated control, the MRV infected mice developed this broad repertoire of autoantibodies. And while this doesn't completely rule out molecular mimicry, it is much less likely that this virus has this many uh, antigens that cross-react with self-antigens. Yeah, it's so, that's too many. It's so many. It is. It, it, like I said, it doesn't completely rule it out. And I have done uh, searches to try to see if any of these line up with uh, viral antigens on the protein level. And, um, uh, that's not the end-all be-all for this analysis, but it just it, it doesn't fit as well. Right. One thing I will point out for this group is we do see anti-insulin antibodies. And when we were doing our histology screening for autoimmunity, we actually do see that in these mice at a lower penetrance than the gastritis, um, but still occurring is there seems to be this inflammatory infiltrate around and even into some of the pancreatic islets. Um, this is something that we uh, plan on exploring further to identify how prevalent this is in these mice after infection, as well as um, what this looks like over time. Yeah, no, that is a fascinating result. And I would ask, you know, whether if you have any, you know, um, thoughts or, or did you see any data that suggested there was any kind of beta specific um, interaction or alpha specific interaction or both? Yeah, it's a great question. And I don't have an answer for you yet. You know, the other thing we really need to look at is whether or not MRV is infecting the pancreas. Uh, we have some initial data suggesting that this it does not seem to be replicating in the pancreas, but um, in terms of identifying uh, islet-specific T cells and antibodies uh, and other antibodies that are associated with uh, type 1 diabetes, we, we haven't looked into yet, um, but it's a really interesting finding. Um, and um, yeah, well, you've got, a, you've got an excellent islet biologist uh, right there at um, WashU with Jeff Millman. Yes, uh, of course. I'm sure he could always be tapped for some input. Yeah, and you know, I think looking into this a little further, identifying over time whether these mice um, you know, show symptoms, show signs of uh, insulitis and pancreatic inflammation, and also um, getting ahead of myself to the future directions, but um, uh, if there are any stimuli that potentially can increase the penetrance after this uh, initial hit, um, this initial hit after neonatal infection. 
Um, so these are all, uh, I think, really interesting questions um, beyond yeah, I mean, the yeah, publication. What you've really established here is a novel and exciting model system for a whole host of people to explore. Right, exactly. So I'll come back to this just a little bit more at the end, but in trying to get back to the mechanism, we also considered another uh, prevailing theory of virus-induced autoimmunity, which is this idea of bystander effect, which I'm lumping together with epitope spread. Um, the idea here is that after a, a tissue is infected, there is cell death and inflammation, antigen-presenting cells take up those dying cells and debris and display them to T and B cells. And if you get just enough recognition and then maturation of that response in the setting of inflammation, you could develop autoimmunity. But as I mentioned, when we look for viral replication in the stomach, shown here at seven days post-infection, but also shown here at 12 weeks post-infection when we see disease, we actually don't see the virus in the stomach. And we went a step further by using an antiviral to inhibit any potential ongoing replication of the virus in the stomach and uh, did not see a reduction in gastritis, really suggesting that this idea that the virus is replicating in the stomach and inducing autoimmune diseases, this is likely not the mechanism. And so we, we turn back towards the thymus where we see that thymic atrophy, we see that depletion of thymocytes and I'm going to just very simplistically go over this model of what's happening to developing T cells in the thymus. And the idea here that I'm going to focus on is that there are cells in the thymus, like medullary thymic epithelial cells or MTECs, that are expressing tissue stricted antigens, genes that would normally be expressed in the pancreas or the lung or the liver. And there are transcription factors like air that drive this expression. And these antigens are then displayed to um, developing T cells. And if these developing T cells recognize this antigen too strongly, they either undergo apoptosis and are removed from the population to make sure that these auto-reactive T cells don't escape. Um, some of these that have a stronger recognition can also be shunted into the regulatory T cell population. But disruption of this process can result in escape of broad reactive T cells, uh, dysregulation of uh, the regulatory T cell development, and downstream autoimmunity. So we wanted to explore some of these potential, these uh, major players in um, what we call central tolerance. There, there are a lot of examples of viruses um, infecting or impacting the thymus. Um, you know, I listed some of them here, but there's this whole list um, that uh, is from this really great um, uh, review. The interesting thing is, in none of these studies have they shown uh, development of autoimmunity uh, unrelated to uh, you know, ongoing viral replication. So we decided to look a little bit more at what's happening to some of these major players um, in central tolerance after infection. 
And one of the cells we looked at were these medullary thymic epithelial cells that are so important for training um, the developing T cells. And we do in fact see out to four weeks post-infection a, a decrease in the number of these cells. Interestingly, at one week post-infection, we do not see a decrease. But thymic dendritic cells that also are important for central tolerance, uh, we do see a decrease as early as one week post-infection. But like the uh, thymocytes, this resolves by uh, four weeks post-infection. When we look at expression of that transcription factor air, we also see a decrease. And this starts at one week post-infection um, and continues out to four weeks post-infection. And functionally, when we look one week post-infection, we do see a decrease in expression of these tissue-restricted antigens. Um, shown here, um, a couple of examples, uh, an antigen from the stomach, an antigen from the thyroid, as well as um, uh, INS2. And we can rescue this expression with antiviral treatment. So with this in mind, what we really want to know next is what is the tropism of this virus in the thymus? Which cells is it infecting? Is this impact due to uh, direct viral infection or um, to just the inflammation or other cells that are um, inducing damage in the thymus? And so we turned to single cell RNA sequencing and we, we decided to look at six days post-infection shown here by flow cytometry before we lose all those CD4 positive thymocytes. And you can see um, by the, the UMAP as well as the proportion of cells that we see a very similar um, uh, pattern here in the single cell proportion as we do uh, by flow cytometry. But when we look for expression of viral genes uh, really across the sequential uh, gene expression that you see in herpes viruses, what we see is that the double positive, double negative, as well as single positive thymocytes, those developing T cells, are positive for viral transcripts. But we also see that the MTECs are positive for viral transcripts. So it seems that these cells are directly infected. And moreover, we see major transcriptional differences including notch signaling that's important for um, T-cell development, um, genes that are involved in negative selection, as well as, as you'd expect, uh, changes in interferon signal. Can you, um, Taryn, can you um, yeah. comment on whether or not the, these type of data have been um, seen in Coxsackie infection? Yeah, that's a great thymus, question. So in the thymus itself. Yeah, so definitely Coxsackie virus can infect the thymus um, and can induce thymic atrophy. Um, there, uh, there is some data that is uh, similar to what we found in terms of um, a depletion of some of these cells. And uh, Coxsackie virus has definitely been uh, related to type one diabetes. And yes, correct. Part of the thinking with that research has been uh, a direct impact of infection in the pancreas, perhaps. Um, and that may be the case. Potentially, this could be another virus that acts similar to MRV and induces some type of um, initial hit that impacts 
tolerance downstream, uh, it could be related in both ways because you know this is uh, they, it, this can be more as opposed to MRV, this can be a little bit more uh, thought of as an acute infection with Coxsackie virus, whereas MRV you know is a chronic infection with periodic low level reactivation. Yes. Um, I, no one that I'm aware of has done uh, these studies, although this is something that uh, I have proposed uh, to do and to try to understand. You know, we don't see the same phenotype when we infect with MCMB, even in terms of development of autoimmunity, even though MCMB does infect the thymus. But the perhaps one, there the one, are. Yeah, no, the, perhaps there are. And, and the one question, the one thing that's so interesting about your work is that this, you know, um, the pattern of sort of like the uh, infection, remission, and then a little bit, you know, another another round of MCV and then remission, that does mirror what um, is now, you know, kind of put forward as the model for type one. It's a one hit right. a remission during the prodrome, you know, another hit yeah. a remission. So it's really interesting that this mechanism does kind of, you know, does have that a similar uh, progression. Yeah, and perhaps uh, not all viruses um, impact similar pathways to MRV that induces autoimmunity, but there may be other viruses that do. And, you know, another big question, you know, in our model here, we think MRV is infecting the thymus and really disrupting these uh, major players in central tolerance. And this is resulting in escape of autoreactive T cells and perhaps a uh, um, change in the regulatory T cell population. And this is what's inducing autoimmunity. But we're going from a neonatal to adult uh, adult uh, time frame, and we showed in actually in this paper that the autoimmunity doesn't really overtly develop until out here, more in this adult time frame. And so the question, one of the questions that remains is, what's happening in between, and uh, are there specific factors that are um, increasing the likelihood over time? that these mice will develop autoimmunity. You know, the, the other thing, speaking to this group specifically, is autoimmune gastritis is uh, definitely related um, to type 1 diabetes, as well as um, you know, uh, uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And this is uh, from a, a 2008 review of several different papers showing just the um, the percentage of people with autoimmune gastritis that also have type one diabetes or thyroiditis or Graves disease, and so I think there's good evidence in um, just the general population that these autoimmune diseases are related. But we also know that in air deficiency or APHSET, that these patients develop gastritis, they develop type one diabetes, they develop thyroiditis, as well as um, other, as well as a whole host of autoantibodies um, and other autoimmune conditions. Um, so, you know, this is unlike air deficiency. This is the impact of MRV is transient, but perhaps gives us an idea about a, a very important window in development and how a viral insult um, can have a long-term impact on tolerance and autoimmunity. 
Yeah, no, this is a very, very important um, body of work that you guys are developing. And the whole idea of narrowing down the window um, of sort of first hit, second hit during the progress to type one is yeah. is really, I think, where the meat lies, you know, in the meat of the sandwich. Um, so um, it, this is an exciting um, approach you guys have developed and uh, looks like there's yeah. A lot of work to be done now with the model. There is. As a virologist, uh, you know, I'm really excited to do some of this uh, virology work and, you know, identifying what potential genes are involved uh, that from the virus perspective. But uh, on the immunology side, as an immunologist, uh, I think we have a really tractable model uh, to start studying this. We have tools like antivirals we're developing. Uh, viral tools to try to really identify the mechanism. We also have really great immunologic tools uh, to study this. So you know, I think there's a lot to do, but uh, for our initial studies, but also potential links with type 1 diabetes, I think there's a, a lot of uh, exciting work to be done. Absolutely. Uh, are you hiring any postdocs? <laughs> I am hiring right now. The lab is opening. Um, we're a, a small lab right now. I, I do just want to quick, quickly thank uh, Wayne Yokoyama here, who is an amazing immunologist, uh, supported me as I did this work as a, a postdoc. I know there's an upcoming talk on uh, natural killer cells and type 1 diabetes, and uh, natural killer cells is really his avenue of research, but has allowed me to uh, uh, explore this really exciting topic as well as several other collaborators, Lucy Signs and Michael Cayley. Um, so yeah, we we are hiring. We're looking for people to join the lab, and uh, there are lots of projects to uh, to take on. It's fantastic. I cannot wait to see what you uh, come up with next. Your next your next paper. Yes. So, exciting yeah, time. Looking forward to it. Yeah. But we're getting there for sure. Thank you again for joining us. We just had some. Uh, we had uh, we had a um, a couple people on here that that dropped, but um, I I really appreciate your um, sharing with us today. And um, as you know, we have a lot of views and listens on our YouTube channel and in our um, podcast. And so we're hoping that um, a, this word will get out and people will reach out to you directly. Great. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's mutual. Thanks again for all you're doing. Great rest of your day. Bye. -bye.